being able to connect something that you don't know to something that you do know is one of the best ways to teach. Doing that with video games has helped me really reach an audience that would normally be uninterested in learning about zoology. Welcome to How to Make a Science Video. You're listening to Sophie Ward and Simon Clark. Together, we have over 10 years of experience making science videos and a master's degree in science communication. That's mine, by the way. And we are both curious about how to best share science with the world. To find out, we spoke to 10 top science video creators. And this week, we're talking to... My name is Patch. I run a channel called Tear Zoo, which is a channel about wildlife ecology and evolutionary biology but framed through the lens of gaming. Uh, It uses a lot of gaming terminology and it discusses sort of the strategies and you can't really say mentality, but like you could theorize about the mentality or the cleverness behind a lot of the adaptations animals have that helps them survive and succeed in their ecosystems. In a similar way to how you might talk about the strategies of a really good video game player or something like that. We started by asking Patrick how this all began, how he ended up doing this as his full-time job. Oh gosh, where to start? I just graduated college. I had a degree in, well, I have a degree in microbiology from University of Madison. And I was working at a company called Jack Link's Beef Jerky. I was a food scientist and I was super bored at work (laughs) because I feel like a good portion of my job was just to listen to my boss rant about stuff, Mm -hmm. which was not super difficult or engaging. And so what he would be talking about, everything that he hated about his boss or whatever, I'd just kind of be sitting there on my laptop. Okay, Tim, yeah, yeah, I agree. That sounds really annoying. (laughs) I'd just be kind of brainstorming or just kind of off my own little world of ideas. And growing up, I'd always been super interested in the natural world. I mean, I majored in a biological field, but beyond that, I was always like, running around in nature, catching bugs and that kind of thing. So doing something related to that was always really appealing to me. I kind of just kept brainstorming and I eventually fell upon this idea of combining basically my two favorite things, which I think is one of the best ways to build any YouTube channel. Mm. (laughs) To take two things that you're really interested in and see if you can squeeze them together, find a little bit of overlap and see where that takes you. I think that's a really strong strategy if you need ideas ever. So yeah, I had the thought to combine the education about zoology and stuff with gaming terminology. It's something I had seen a few other places, even on YouTube. There was a a few other YouTubers that I'd seen do it. I saw one YouTuber named Casually Explained do it. I'd seen a lot of Super Smash Brothers YouTubers do it for other contexts just as a joke. But that's kind of where I got the idea for the tier list and everything was from watching YouTubers that made videos about my favorite video games, in particular Super Smash Brothers. Most of my experience with like competitive video games was Super Smash Brothers. You can definitely see, especially my early videos, all the lingo is just Super Smash. Yeah. <laughs> Which version is it? Brawl that you came in at Melee? Uh, at the time, I guess it would have been Smash Four, like Smash for Wii U, and then Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Now is the main one. Wow. I had played Melee growing up, but I was never yeah, super into it, like <laughs> yeah. in the way that it's popular now. 
where it's hyper, hyper competitive. There's all these advanced techniques that basically people have 10 years under their belt. There's no way you could ever be remotely competitive. It's a mind melting sport. I'm just such a button smasher as well. So like, there's no way. I'm just like, (laughs) and then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like, oh, I know this person's animation is this many frames. And so I've got a window to pull off this specific combo. Like it's mad to me. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, you can hear me talking about like the frame data of moves in some of my early videos because I'm getting really, really esoteric about the video game terminology, (laughs) which I still think is funny. And I still make those kinds of jokes every so often, but I try to limit that a little bit so that people who aren't into that precise community still kind of follow along. So kind of combining the rhetoric that I would see in a lot of those tier list videos for Super Smash Bros with specifically with wildlife because I saw a lot of overlaps and I didn't feel like it had ever really been done to that degree, at least with the same visual style that I had in mind. I had seen some videos where it was just like a talking head, you know, next to a screen recording or something, you know, some just Twitch streamer talking about something, uh, talking about, oh, what animals could I take in a fight? And it's a tier list or something like that. And that's funny. Obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, every guy thinks they can beat like a bear. Of like course, yeah, we could absolutely yeah, definitely yeah. get way into this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. Or also I'd seen a few people make like kind of cartoony versions of it. But I had the idea of having it be real wildlife footage, nature footage, but overlaid under video game visual effects. And I think that combo also really, really hit with the audience. And so from there, it just kind of became a craft of refining all of those elements. Because in my early videos, all of those, the visual effects are not good at all. (laughs) Because I was just doing them on like Microsoft PowerPoint. I'm so glad you brought that up. Because when we spoke about this before, you told me that you did all your graphics originally in PowerPoint. And for quite a while, do you still do some in PowerPoint now? I don't think I've done anything in PowerPoint in a minute, but... For what it's worth, I think that software has a lot more to offer than people might initially think. Yeah, no, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you would, like, recreate, like, what, like, for example, like, the health bar from Breath of the Wild, but you would do that on, like, PowerPoint, basically. Yeah, and I think it did look a little shoddy compared to what could be done on, like, After Effects and things like that. But for just me doing it in my, like, living room all by myself, I think it served its purpose. Sure, yeah. But now I've definitely been... Well, thank you. I, I've definitely been refining it more and working with more talented people to bring a little bit more crispness to those visuals and make them look a little less scuffed. But yeah, I think that's mostly been my path is just kind of iterating and refining that same idea and making and trying to find new ways to make it work, trying to incorporate new visuals from newer games and new analogies that work with those same titles. For example, I'll, I'm sure I'll be doing a lot with... Tears of the Kingdom, Zelda, sort of uh, sound effects and visual effects in upcoming videos of mine. Mm. So yeah, that's, uh, that's about where I'm at with Tears of. Mm. That first video that you put together in that format, was it an immediate success or was it quite a slow growth? From my perspective at the time, it absolutely was an immediate success. I kind of knew I was onto something right away because I threw it on Reddit and I got 40,000 views in the first day and 1,000 subscribers, which... For me, like I had been making videos before, actually. I'd been making cartoons for other silly ideas that I had. I even tried to be like a Vsauce guy one time and and make like explainer videos. Really? Yeah, I made like three of them. Where are those? No, you'll never find them. They're buried. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) 
they were really bad. And a lot of them were very wrong. I think I made one that was like, why we will never have another pandemic. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Tug at the shirt collar on that one. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Okay, yeah, now I, I'm glad now that they're not anywhere. Yeah, yeah, you will never find those. <laughs> I had made other videos and I knew that there was like an expectation I had of how many views you could expect on the first day. And it was like a few dozen. <laughs> so I put that one out. I'm getting, you know, tens of thousands right away. And I'm like, oh man, I definitely hit on something here. Let's keep this moving. Yeah, yeah I think it was initial success. How many videos did you make before you went professional and did this as your main source of income? I think it was my seventh video that really took my channel off. That's not quite where I would have said that I became a professional, but that's where the channel took off to the point where I had to really consider it. That happened and I think that was the cat tier list for reference. Right, so in my video on dinosaur builds, I casually referenced the fact that cheetahs are low tier, which ended with me getting a ton of comments from angry cheetah mains asking me to explain myself. And fair enough, I probably should. But instead of just making a video on cheetahs, I figured I'd kill two birds with one stone by also finally releasing the tier list for the cat dynasty. First, let's talk about the place cats as a whole are at in the meta. So I don't think it comes as a surprise to anyone that cats are exceptionally effective builds that have held a high tier spot in the meta for more than a while. And though this isn't true of every cat build, of which there are more than 40, cats carved out their spot in the meta by being the best choice by far for anyone looking to play an assassin or rogue class. That was the first tier list video that I made with, that had the word like tier list in the title. I'd made other videos that referenced a tier list, but that was the first one where I really kind of committed to the bit and just went all out on the tier list idea. And once I did that, things really took off. At the time, I had around 10,000 subscribers, which was pretty good. Way more than I'd ever seen in my life. But I went from there to probably about 150,000 in one weekend. In a weekend? Wow. Oh, my days. That is, like, skyrocketing. Oh it was. My gosh. It was very, it was mind-blowing. People love a cat tier list. Gosh. Was that the weekend where you were checking your analytics every five minutes? By I time? was. Well, <laughs> it, was, it was wild. I was sitting there, like, playing like ultimate frisbee with my friends just on campus hanging out and I look at my phone and it's just like blowing up just I'm looking at it I'm like there's no way this has to be a visual bug or something but it was real I mean who would have guessed right that putting cats on the internet you know would have such <laughs> yeah. an effect famously the internet hates cats yeah yeah know, cat videos true. have never done well ever but yeah that that really worked and that's where I had to really think if this keeps growing this will absolutely be more important than my day job and yeah, eventually I, I just kind of kept making videos and they kept hitting a similar, they never quite breached that same level of success as that cat tier list, at least not within the first year or so, but they kept doing at least similarly well. And I thought, well, okay, at this point, it does make sense to just focus more effort on this than at my day job because the rewards and the effort, it just all lines up. And eventually I got in contact with a company called Standard and they offered to help me procure sponsors and they booked the rest of my videos for that year, which it was March at the time. And they, they were like, yeah, we can like guarantee you these sponsors for the rest of the year. And it was, at that point, it was like, it was a no brainer. It was without question, I was going to make more from those videos, as long as I made the videos at all, I would make more from those videos than I would at my day job. So I was like, well, okay, I'll put in my two weeks notice and tell all my coworkers. And they all laughed at me. We're like, sure, buddy. Yeah, you're going to go make it. I'm sure. We'll see you back at the food science labs in two weeks. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a kind of <laughs> awkward conversation I had with a few of my coworkers and my boss. 
Yeah, you became someone that your boss would complain about then. Oh, Patch. <laughs> oh, he thinks he's going to be a YouTuber. Yeah. I remember one of the things I had just told my boss that I was quitting. And then like one of my other coworkers came in and was like, what's going on? And my boss was like, he thinks he's going to be the next Jeff Bezos. And I'm like, that's not what it is. That's not what it's about. But like, okay, I guess if you're gonna if you're gonna be all snooty with me, I guess I'll just. Be- I imagined him in like J. Jonah Jameson boss, yes, like you know, cigar so shopping. True. He thinks he's gonna be the next Jeff yeah. Bezos. He had a brilliant handlebar mustache. No, oh, no, it was fantastic. Oh my god, it was kind of like JJ. That's so funny. <laughs> That's amazing. okay, you've left the food science life, like yeah. you've realised these videos are a success. So when it comes to making a video then, how do you approach it? What are your steps? What's your process, Patch? It starts with research, for sure. And when I say research, I mostly mean trying to find the coolest videos that I can, that I would be able to license. Okay. And if I can find a really cool clip or two, then I'll think, oh, there might be something I can make a video about here. Because this has been a big roadblock in my channel is like, I'll have an idea, like there'll be a really cool animal I want to talk about. There'll be a bunch of cool facts about it that I would love to share or try to frame with the whole video game analogy thing. And then I just won't be able to find a clip of the thing that I'm talking about. And I think without being able to really illustrate what I'm saying, it's kind of hard to follow with the whole video game analogy. If you can't see what I'm referencing, then it's just like, uh, I can talk all about how strong the animal's power stat is. But if I'm not showing it absolutely wrecking house with whatever weapons it has, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really match. It doesn't, uh, doesn't quite play to the audience as much as it needs to. So I try to write the videos with clips in mind first and kind of work backwards from there. I'll try to come up with funny ideas for what video game elements I want to put over a clip. If I want to make a clip, a Smash Bros clip or a RuneScape clip or a Zelda clip or something like that. But yeah, so once I have a good base of clips, then I'll write the video. And in the past, it would be me editing. At this point, I have an editor helping me out. And I think that's one of the reasons my videos have done better lately. It was a little bit of a humility check when I got an editor and suddenly all the comments were like, wow, you really improved your editing. I'm like, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was all me. Thank you. If you, Patch, though, yeah, was that a bit of a difficult choice to bring on an editor? Because I think, especially for you, like your whole style, it must feel so personal. So you must have thought a bit, oh, can I really bring an editor in who can replicate it? 100%. I had to do a lot of working with the editor to refine his style so that it could match mine. And then I still have a ton of say over the cuts and the ideas. We'll talk together about what sorts of, you know, meme jokes to put in the video. We will work together to find clips if we find a section in the script that doesn't really have a good visual yet or something like that. I'm still super, super involved in the process. And I don't think I could give that up because this was something I said all the time when my friends would be like, you need to get an editor. And I would always say like, no, like the edit is how I put myself into the video. Without that, like, where's me? But I think now that I've taken a step back, like, okay, I'm still writing the script. I'm still overseeing the whole project, all that stuff. So I I can relinquish that a bit. But it was definitely hard to put that aside and try to work with another person to get those out the door. But It's been great. The quality of the visual effects, I think, has taken a huge jump because of those. And then even just having someone else like 
thinking about what sorts of jokes to make. There's been quite a few jokes in the videos that I didn't come up with because I didn't even think about it or I haven't played this game. And then he would make this idea and I'd be like, oh, like, let me run that by a few friends. And they'd all be like, oh, that's hilarious. Let's definitely do that. So he sort of helps write the comedy in that regard, too, which is great. In terms of conceptualizing a video, do you start from a title and work backwards? Or do you make a video about, I want to make a video about this kind of animal and then I'll find the pathway for it? I think when it comes to titles, I have a pretty consistent brand and like motif that I kind of just stick to. Uh, Like if it's going to be about a bunch of animals, it's going to be the blank tier list. And if it's highlighting a single creature, it's going to be is blank OP. Maybe I'll deviate here and there with a few different ideas, but broadly it's just those two. And I think that makes it pretty dang easy to come up with titles. That hasn't really been something I've worried too much about, whether or not I'm working forward or backwards from it. So you're working with an editor now. Mm -hmm. How many people work on a video through its whole life cycle? I think it would just be two then. There have been a few times I've also worked with a co-writer slash co-researcher, a biology PhD student who's helped me out a few times. She's been great when it comes to specifically with like herpetology stuff. She helped me write the snake tier list. And that was really helpful because there were a few times where I would either get something wrong or I would find a visual for a specific moment in the video and I'd put it on the screen and I would show her and she would be like, that's actually not the snake you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, that is a very good catch. And it's crazy how many miscategorized videos there are on all of these footage websites, whether oh, it's YouTube, really? whether it's On5 or Shutterstock or Getty Images, all of these so many of them, the labels are straight up wrong. <laughs> and so having her there to be like, yeah, that's not the snake was great. And she's helped me with a few other videos as well and helped me source footage and research videos and that kind of thing. So at most three, but usually it's just me and my editor. I feel like way better that you get that comment from her than half the comment section being like, wait a second. Mm. Although maybe they wouldn't even know. Like, I don't know. No, and they, they almost certainly would not know. Maybe there'd be a few people here and there buried in the comments. I don't think it would be like thousands of comments like, oh my gosh, can't believe you messed this up. Like there have been times where I've made very serious errors in videos that no one has caught, or at least that are blatantly obvious to anyone who knows anything about zoology, but the general audience just, they move right past it. Really? Okay. Interesting. When you're making a video, we've talked a bit about your video making process, but when you make a video, do you have any kind of intended outcomes? Like, what do you want the video to achieve? Is it you want people to learn a certain thing or you're kind of putting across a certain point about the animal kingdom? Or is it more just, I want to entertain people? What are your objectives? I want people to think more about the animals they see. And there's so many animals that are just way, way cooler than people give them credit for. If they knew even a few facts about them, then every time they see this animal, they'll remember and be like, oh, yeah, this is the animal that has this crazy ability or that kind of thing. I have a video coming out pretty soon about the American pronghorn, which is an animal that I don't think many people know about at all, despite the fact that it's a very impressive creature in a multitude of different ways. It's the second fastest land animal in the world. People know all about the cheetah. Cheetah's number one, but no one knows who number two is. Hmm. And it's this sort of antelope-looking thing that's in the Great Plains of North America. It's weird that it's in North America because its closest living relative is the giraffe. So there's all these sorts of weird curiosities like that that I would love more people to be aware of. And 
just think about whenever they see this creature. Beyond that, of course, entertainment is a huge goal. I love making the sort of video game memes, and I think those are really fun. And I think they help people learn, too. I think being able to connect something that you don't know, at least not super well, to something that you do know is one of the best ways to teach. And so I think doing that with video games has helped me really reach an audience that would normally be uninterested in learning about zoology. I get comments like that all the time, like, oh, I normally hate watching science videos or these really, you know, egghead pieces about evolutionary biology or something like that. But when I watch yours, I can really connect with it. I see those comments and then I'm really excited about that. Those are my main goals and I think they're going pretty well. So every so often in this podcast, I'm going to dip in and give a bit more context or information from a science communication perspective. Kind of a more academic perspective. Exactly, because everyone we're speaking to is science communicators, but this is putting my masters to use. <laughs> finally, we're finally seeing finally, use of it. Finally, yeah, there's something there. So I think what Patch, what Tears is getting at here when he talks about people who maybe aren't interested in science videos is science capital. And science capital is basically a measure of how much science people have in their lives. So it's a combination of what you know, like facts about science, who you know, do you know many scientists IRL in real life? It's also a bit about like how you think and what you do. Do you have a job that's anything to do with science? So any way that your life kind of touches science gives you science capital, it increases your science capital. And how is that a useful concept when we're actually constructing science communication? It's not quantified because it's not a number, but it's a way that we can put people into categories of, okay, how likely is it that this person will think science is for them? Because evidence has shown that the lower your science capital, the less you access science in your day-to-day life, the less likely you are to engage with it and think it's a thing for you. So we can try and reach audiences that have low science capital, that don't think science is for them, in other ways. And I think Patch does that excellently with gaming content. You're typifying your audience by this idea of the science capital, and then you can apply specific techniques to reaching a lower science capital audience or a higher science capital audience. Yeah, exactly. And just having that expectation that there will be people out there who don't really think science is for them or who don't have much access to science in their lives. And these are people that we can reach by being a bit more unique with how we try and reach them. Anyway, back to Patrick. Yeah, back to Patrick. And so, you know, you don't then for each video write out specifically for this video, I want people to come away with knowing what the pronghorn is. I want them to know how fast it is. It's not video by video, but like just as an overarching channel kind of goal. Yeah, I think so. But also, I wouldn't make the video if I couldn't find anything interesting about the creature. So I think... Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> with the pronghorn, like, I was really excited to tell that specific story. And then that was the the main takeaway. There have been a few times where I've made a video with a specific like a higher concept in zoology takeaway. And I've tried to teach that using the whole gamified idea. And it's really not worked. And I've been kind of let down and disappointed. Like I'll ask my audience, like I'll talk to them on Discord or something like, hey, what did you guys think about this? Like, did you understand it? And a lot of them would be like, no, that went way over my head. And I was like, oh man, I thought I really had that. It's harder than I thought. It's harder than it looks to teach someone like a, a higher concept thing. Like, it's easy to be like, oh, okay, this, this animal is really fast. That, and that's really cool, right? But, for example, I tried one time to teach about the genetic structure of the hive of hymenopteran insects. So that'd be like bees and ants and wasps and those kinds of things. They have a really unique way of passing on their genetic code. They have like a specific number of chromosomes that are or are not passed on to the offspring, depending on the sex. 
And depending on whether or not it's a queen or a worker, those kinds of things. And that's really fascinating because when you think about it that way, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of like the selfish gene hypothesis, but you can really see it playing out where it's like, oh, okay, these worker bees actually pass on more of their genetic code by protecting the queen than they would if they were to breed themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're not able to breed anyway, but like even if they could, it wouldn't make sense for them to do so because by helping the queen have more sisters, the sisters are more related to each other than they are to their own offspring. Right, yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. Nothing else like that in nature. You know, if you have an offspring, they're 50% related to you in almost every context, right? But these sister bees are like 75% related to each other. Which is wild. They're like semi-clones is what is the term that I've seen. And I already feel like I'm losing you, you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I feel like I'm still with you. Yeah, I'm still with you, but I'm also half thinking of video game context I can put this in to make it work. Yeah, I had to kind of force it. It felt a little awkward, but I'm trying to be like, oh, okay, like what do you get the most XP for? Is it breeding or is it keeping the queen alive? That kind of thing. And it's like... And I try to delve into the genetics about it, and I don't feel like I really got there. And I feel like in some ways the video game analogy kind of hindered it. Mm. But I also I feel like okay. it's very hard to teach that just in general without yeah. people's eyes glazing over if they're not already really interested in that kind of thing, which I am. I'm already getting excited. You can probably hear it in my voice. Like, I'm like, this is so cool, right? Yeah. But for some people I'm sure are like, whatever. Bees are bees. You know, they're, they're going to do their thing. Yeah, that's some of the challenges I've run into. Don't give up though, Patch. I mean, I'm a one I'm one person, but I think it's cool to try and make more complex topics fit that context. Like it's a challenge, but it could really, really pay off if you like hit it right, hit the nail on the head kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's also as a communicator, like that's kind of why we do this job in a way. Like in the same way that if you're an artist, yeah, sure, you could make art that is popular for tourists or whatever, but you yourself want to do something that's really complex technically. And it's like a piece of art for yourself. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe trying to make videos about those complex topics is that version of making a masterpiece for a painter, say. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that classic thing where people are like, oh, the video that I like cared the most about did the worst, but I was really happy yeah. with it and I really cared. Yeah. Like, it's such a common occurrence, isn't it? Absolutely. Captain's Log, we appear to be in a star-forming region of space, a nebula. But instead of large, bloated, loud balls of gas, the stars being formed here are very different. They're stars of online educational video, making long-form content about science, geopolitics, and video games, among other subjects. That's right, Captain Picard. Nebula is a streaming service owned by a collection of creators, including Sophie and I, that hosts innovative, educational, and inspirational content from some of your favorite video and podcast makers. You can listen to all episodes of How to Make a Science Video ad-free on Nebula, but you can also watch exclusive content from other creators such as Our Changing Climate, Lindsay Ellis, Wendover Productions, and many more. Exclusive content includes individual videos from your favorite creators, but also entire series such as Jetlag and Red Atoms. Get access to Nebula by signing up at go.nebula.tv slash htmasv. That's our special How to Make a Science Video link. And by using it, you can get 40% off a membership plan and support the show. Again, that link is go.nebula.tv slash htmasv. Computer, put Nebula on the main view screen. Engage.
But you'd say, though, Patch, that your videos then are for people who wouldn't normally be into science but are into gaming, and that's kind of your segue for them. I've got, like, three different audiences, I feel like. I have the people who really mesh with it are, of course, like, people like me who like video games and also like the natural world and things like that. With those people, like, they're hopefully going to like it. Like, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's made for them. But I also get plenty of people from both halves of, like, you know, if we're thinking of, like, a Venn diagram, like, sure, it's targeted towards the overlap, but I'm very grateful that it seems to have hit with both circles of the Venn diagram that aren't overlapping. Mm -hmm. So I get people who are PhD students who don't play video games at all, but they see this and they're like, oh, this is very interesting. And I see how you're teaching it and I can get what you're trying to get at, even though I'm not a gamer myself, because I know the subject matter well enough. I can see what you're trying to imply with these sorts of terminology and that kind of thing. But then I also get plenty more people who are just gamers who like Super Smash Brothers and like League of Legends or whatever. And they see it and they connect with it and they end up learning way more than they ever thought they really could kind of effortlessly about the natural world and about zoology. And I try to cater to all those audiences to some extent, but I kind of make videos for people like me. I can't predict everyone, but I can definitely predict myself and I know what I would like and I know that I'm not that special. I'm not that unique. I know that there's plenty of people like me. I'm not saying that in a bad way. I think it's good to have a lot in common with your audience. And I think I do. Do you think of yourself not as an expert, but instead as like a, oh, hey, I'm just like you and I just learned this cool thing. I want you to learn it too. Like, you know, how do you cast yourself in your videos? If there was like a lore perspective on the Tier Zoo universe. Uh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> if we were to, for the sake of argument, take it as fact that the natural world is some grand video game, then I would not be the creator of the video game. Rather, I would be a professional gamer. I would be like a content creator who makes really high level videos about the game. To compare to like Super Smash Brothers, I would be like Hungrybox or Zero or Esam or, you know, some of these people that are really, really hardcore. I don't know if either of you people know who they are, but that's the general idea is like, I'm the pro trying to like help other players find their footing in the game. That's kind of where I cast myself as a character. And then beyond that, I mean, I think I'm just supposed to be a detached voice. I don't think the audience is meant to super care about, just kind of a narrator. I don't really have much of a, a character. I don't know. I, I don't want to say I have no personality in the videos because like, <laughs> personality comes through in voice and excitement and things like that. But in terms of like playing up a, a certain trait or character, I don't really do that, at least not intentionally. So yeah, I hope that answers the question if there's anything else I can talk about. <laughs> No, it definitely answers the question and it ties into the choice because we've been thinking for some people the choice as to whether they're on camera or not, but for you it makes sense to not be because you are that kind of overarching narrator. Yeah, absolutely. I think whether or not I could be on camera, because I'm talking about the world as though it's a game and that includes people, like people, I'm constantly talking about humanity. Yeah, that's so true. You yourself are a human, but here you just have to be this like non, because you're talking about a human's OP. Yeah, like I'm yeah. something beyond, <laughs> I don't want to say above that, but like I'm outside of the universe looking in and talking about it. Like what are the strategies to like be good at being alive? You're human main, but you're not like a, you know, a character within the game. <laughs> yeah, precisely. I wouldn't make a video about Super Smash Brothers in character as... Samus or Link or something. <laughs> yeah, because you'd just be like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you wouldn't even be able to say anything. <laughs> right. 
just the intonation about which heroes you hate. <laughs> like, you know, s- s- sad link noises, happy link noises. Right. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if you could try and continue the joke by somehow doing like a let's play, like having you in the corner, like somehow playing the footage. I have done that. I have done that, actually. There's two videos on my channel that are kind of let's play. And then there's one on that's just a Nebula exclusive. But I have tried exactly that. And I think it's, it's a, it's a funny conceit of doing a let's play or a speed run. <laughs> yeah, I try to do more of those, but I kind of it was really hard to find footage that followed an individual creature for like a significant mm. length of time, so I could talk about it as though I am that creature mm. and like had a similar perspective on the creature the whole time. You know, like same depth of field or distance from the camera, that kind of thing. But that was an idea I had tried to workshop like a lot. Actually, is like doing let's plays of actual animals and talk about it as though I'm the animal like playing a character. Um, I For the longest time I tried to get this to work. I, I bought a drone and tried to like fly it around animals and like the drones have this really cool feature called active tracking. And so you, you can like click on a thing on screen in your drone from the drone's perspective and it'll like follow that from a set distance which looks a lot like a third person action camera from a video game. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to get that to work on animals and it just couldn't quite get there. And also I couldn't really find animals to test it out on very frequently. It was like, oh, I could use my dog or I could maybe try to follow a deer around in the park. But uh, they wouldn't end up doing anything interesting anyway. But yeah, I think that what you just hit on that idea there is something I've spent a lot of time thinking about and I would love to do more of it, but it's a tough one. So you're a human main, but like, if you could have a secondary account, what species would you want to be your second? That's a great question. My criteria, I think, would be like, has a long lifespan, is highly intelligent, is social, and has enough mobility to move through an environment that I, as a human, cannot. And so I think the only two options there for me would be a dolphin or a parrot. Ah. And I think I would pick the parrot because flying is cool and parrots are awesome. They live a really long time. I know parrots that have been alive longer than I have. Wow. <laughs> I say I know parrots. My grandparents have a parrot. I just love the way you said that. Yeah, I know, guys. I personally know parrots. <laughs> yeah, that implied a lot about your life. <laughs> My buddy Jim, you know, he's a parrot, but like, it's fine. I know of parrots. They, they have an extraordinarily long lifespan. They live almost as long as people, I think. So yeah, the ability to fly, live a long time, social, uh, able to interact with the environment very well. Like parrots can pick up stuff and manipulate their environment, kind of like a person. They use their beak, but they can also use their feet. It's cool. I think I'd go with a parrot for sure. They're awesome. It sucks that they're in danger, but they're phenomenal creatures. And I love those guys. You may have the best thought out answer to that of anyone on planet Earth. Well, I came prepared. You know, I, that, that's what I, <laughs> I thought about a bit more than I think most people would. <laughs> Video-wise, something I'm wondering is, have you had any videos, I guess, other than the original cat tier list that skyrocketed you, your channel, have you had any videos that have surprised you, like, in terms of the audience response, where you've been like, oh, I thought people wouldn't really buy into this, and they have, or... I guess you kind of said that the complex genetic one didn't do as well as you hoped, but any other surprises that have happened or that stand out to you? Sure, yeah, there are two that come to mind. The one that blew up even more than the cat tier list... I mean, at this point, I don't think the cat tier list is even in my top five most viewed videos. Uh, so it, other videos have definitely overtaken it, but at a slower pace. There was no like explosive, whoa, this video is really hitting moment. 
except with a video that I made back in, I think, 2019, maybe, maybe it's 2018. It was called Are Humans OP? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I remember this one blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was all about the sort of ecological and zoological like framing of humanity. Uh, looking at, okay, what is a person's special abilities? Like, you know, people think, oh, you know, we have cars and guns and stuff. Like, sure, that's cool. But there's a lot more to humanity that I think gives us more of an edge than people realize. Humans are the best runners on the planet. We can outrun a horse. Yeah, there's like nothing that can escape a human. If, he, if a human is chasing something, they will catch it. I thought it'd be interesting and I wasn't really sure what to expect. I thought it could maybe do well. But it became my most viewed video ever mm. and remained that way. I think it still is. I think it might still be my most viewed video ever. Although I think the bird and fish tier lists are catching up to it. But yeah, I really didn't expect that to hit the way that it did. I mean, when I say I gained, you know, 150,000 subs in one weekend, I think I gained even more quickly off the back of that video, which was really cool because I made it right before I went to VidCon like my first time. And so I, oh, everyone's wow. like, yo, I just saw your video. And I'm like, dude, I've been watching you for my whole oh. life. <laughs> so I was really hyped about it. And yeah, it, it ended up doing super well. I was surprised, though, because I'm like, this is a zoology channel. People don't want to learn more about people. There's other channels that talk about people plenty. People get enough people in their lives. <laughs> so I didn't know if that one would do that great. And it did. It did better than ever. And I think I've actually made two videos. I think I've made kind of two and a half videos. But two main videos about humanity. I made one that was more specifically about the evolutionary biology about people and like the out of Africa hypothesis and that kind of thing. And that one also did crazy, crazy well. Mm. And so I, at some point I'm like, okay, do people even care about animals? Like yeah. every time I make a video about people, they do way better. What's We're so self-obsessed. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that one, that one also blew up. So those were two videos that I was also, I was even a little bit like annoyed, like, oh, I kind of, I don't want to be the people channel. I want to be the animal <laughs> channel. So, so that was one video that did super well. There was another one more recently that I made about scorpions. Oh, yeah. And I thought that that wouldn't do well at all. I thought that was going to be like a nine out of 10 on when I released it. But it, that one has continued to pull in views like it, it's been like one of my most viewed videos just kind of in the background, like since I released it, people are always watching that video. And I'm like, why? What's going on with this one? Most videos, you release it and then it, you know, you get a nice big swing at the beginning with a lot of views coming in and then it just kind of cools off and then it's chilling in the background, maybe pulling in a few views every so often, but nothing great. Whereas that one, I feel like it's always on fire and I don't quite get it. I like scorpions. Scorpions are cool. They're a very interesting creature and they've been around for hundreds of millions of years. So they're survivors, but they're bugs, you know, they're, <laughs> they're creepy crawlies. So I kind of expected people to not be that interested in them. They're not that charismatic, you know, compared to like an elephant or a giraffe or a lion or something. People don't really connect with arthropods anywhere near as well. But they got a weapon built in. That's surely like the distinction, yeah. right? It's like nature's tank. Yeah, yeah. So elephants don't have bazookas on their backs. <laughs> Of course, there there was a lot to talk about with the scorpion, with the armor and the claws and the stinger and the venom and all that. So there was a lot to, to talk about and a lot of really cool clips. There was some really, really awesome slow-mo clips on Getty Images that I was able to license of a scorpion striking in slow motion yeah. at a rat. I think it was like a, a grasshopper mouse or something. And you, you see the, the creature like react in real time and like, ooh, like oh. be taken back and like... 
Ooh, it felt that one, you know. And I think maybe those clips really were what helped sell the video and make people want to share it. But yeah, I, I didn't expect people to connect with an arthropod anywhere near that well. And I'm glad it did because I think it's my second or third most viewed video now. Let me check. I'm curious. What are my most viewed videos? You mentioned views, which is obviously by the nature of doing this job, they are very important. Yeah. But I mean, what in general determines to you whether a video is successful or not? Like, do you re get feedback from the comments? Do you look at how people are sharing it? Like, what does success look like? Definitely, I think views is number one, as shallow as that may be. I think I see big number and big number makes me happy. Yeah, brain <laughs> neuron activated. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Monkey brain says yes. Okay, thanks. <laughs> and yeah, now that I see it, it is the scorpions is my third most popular video. Bird tier list is the second most popular, which I'm really happy about because I worked really hard on that one. That was one I really wanted to do well and it did. And it features parrots, your fave. It does, it does feature parrots. <laughs> and then our humans OP is sitting at least 2 million above the rest at 13 wow. million views. Gosh, we really are, aren't we? So inward looking. Yeah. Wow. We mentioned comments a few times and you've mentioned a bit about comments and we've asked people this. Do you read comments? Do you read them at the start of a video or the whole way through? I do. The, I think comments are a good way to kind of gauge what jokes are working. Mm -hmm. Because people always will be repeating jokes in the comments. Like they didn't just see the video. They're like, oh, I got to share it. <laughs> you know, it's, you watch any like comedy skit on YouTube that people do the exact same thing. You know, oh, this was the best moment when he said this. And as like kind of silly as that is, it's very good for helping judge what jokes work. If I really am excited about a certain joke, and then I see no comments about it. I'm like, well, that one just went right past people. That's so heartbreaking, isn't it, though? We're like, oh, yeah. going to kill it. <laughs> no yeah. one cares. But that's okay. That's very valuable feedback. And I also check the average view duration. You can kind of see the graph of like where people are clicking and what moments people are like rewinding and that kind of thing. That also helps me gauge which jokes or which moments really landed with the audience because people will rewind and rewatch something. It'll either be because something was really funny or really shocking. For example, if you watch my fish tier list video, there's one moment which there was a huge spike in the average view duration. And the reason for that, I think, was because it was a clip of a crocodile eating a fish. And like right before I cut the, the shot, the fish's eyes like start popping out as it's like being squeezed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that as I was putting it in the video. And then I look back and, and all the comments are like, yo, what is going on at 852 with this fish? Yeah. And I look back and I'm like, wow, that was really funny. I wish I could find more clips like that. Was there a horse tier list that you did? And there was a guy being kicked by like a donkey off of the back of a, a truck or something. Yeah. And similarly, there's a huge spike because yeah. I flick through and you go, wait, what? Oh, yeah. Like that really <laughs> like, happened. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, the comments are valuable feedback and uh, the average view duration is another, another avenue I check to see what's working and what's not working. If people are skipping something or not rewinding, like I think with that example of trying to teach people about the Arenatoki genetics of Hymenoptera, it's definitely not people rewinding that. <laughs> people are like, ah, okay, yeah. whatever. Get get back to the part where the bee stings the other bee and it makes a funny noise. <laughs> and that's great. I'm all about it. Like I'm not trying to be pejorative to my audience or like roast them for being simpletons or anything. I love that stuff too. I think it's a lot of fun and it gets people excited as well. We finish these chats by asking our guests the same five quickfire questions, starting with, if I, by some means, had a million dollars to give you, what video would you make with that money? 
So what I would do with a million dollars is I would try to make something that requires animation in order to communicate properly. There's two potential choices there. The first would be like prehistoric animals that haven't really been depicted in media yet, or at least not the way that I would want to depict them. I would commission an animation studio to create battles between ancient creatures that I would, you know, commentate in my usual way and that kind of thing. That's something that uh, I think would be a lot of fun. But perhaps even more interestingly, and this is a, a request I get all the time, is to do like a microorganism tier list, a bacteria, a virus, that kind of thing, tier list. Yes, because you said oh. microbiology was your background, right? But you, you haven't been able to explore it. Exactly. I've written quite a few scripts about bacteriology and that kind of thing. And I've run into the same issue where like, okay, one, this is way too high concept. I don't think people are going to get what I'm talking about. And two... Even if I could communicate it, I don't think I'd be able to show it in any sort of way that would connect with people. Because even if I had like footage of it, you know, like I had a microscope <laughs> looking at uh, interspecies conflict that I was discussing, it wouldn't look like anything. It would just look like yeah. a pile of, you know, yeah. a little blob of nothing. And that's it. And so I think on my end, I would have to commission animations in a similar manner to like Kurzgesagt showing like a cartoon version of bacteria launching their chemical attacks on each other and that kind of thing. That would be a lot of fun. And I have a lot to say about microorganisms that I just really haven't been able to talk about. Okay, second question. What one change would you make to YouTube to improve the website? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> it's funny, like a lot of the c complaints I used to have are actually being addressed. And I've talked to some YouTube people and they're like, oh, yeah, that's coming. So I like, just wait. Mm. It's like A-B testing. Yeah, A-B testing is one of them. Uh, I got to see a little bit of what that looked like, and it's great. I think they've tweeted a little bit about it on Twitter at this point, of what that is, and it's a really nice tool. But that one is coming, so what change would you make? Ah, see, the other one I would have said would have been like multiple audio tracks, but that's also already here. And I think that one's another really powerful tool that I hope more creators utilize, because being able to upload multiple languages and share your videos with an international audience is super, super useful. But that's also already something that you can do now. Like all <laughs> of my complaints I feel like have been addressed and YouTube does a way, way better job of making tools for creators than I think a lot of people give them credit for. So it's really hard to say. So can we draw a line under this and it's you would not make a change? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really tough to say. More data is always good, and I think there's been a few times where YouTube has kind of stripped back what data you get or what data is easily accessible in the Creator Studio. Like right now, you can only kind of normalize for the last like 10 videos. Like you see in the dashboard, like latest video performance, and it'll be like ranking by views, X out of 10, which is cool, but you used to be able to like sort of between like, is it how it is it compared to like all your videos or like mm -hmm. how many out of like the last three or... It's interesting. And having used Creator Studio now for six years, it's interesting to see what they've added, but also what they've taken away. And it's like, why did they take this away? I, I use this all the time. But maybe no one else was using it. Maybe it was just no one was really looking at it that much. So I got a few minor critiques there. But broadly, I think YouTube's kind of crushing it, and I wouldn't change that much. <laughs> Fair enough. Next question. What do you think educational video is going to look like in 10 years' time? How will it have changed? I think the budgets for these shows will continue to increase for science communication. I think on some level that might make it harder to compete. Although I think the 
the success of shorts and stuff has really disproven that. I think anyone can jump in and just say their piece. And if they're a good communicator, even if they have no visuals at all, they can still do really well, which is exciting and, and encouraging. I think it should be for anyone who's listening, thinking of starting their own little science show, do it. Absolutely. I think that'd be a great thing to do, a great way to learn on the fly and a great thing to do for the world. But uh, on the other side of the coin, I think a lot of shows right now are kind of just stock footage plus voice. And I don't think that's going to quite cut it in 10 years. I think it's going to be really make or break, like who's putting in a ton of work into animation, who's got the most charismatic host, you know, going out into the world, kind of like Tom Scott and, and like Veritasium, those kinds of people who go out and film something in action, showing the process and those sorts of things. Those channels will continue to get more investment and the production quality is just going to keep going up. And I think, basically, I think we're in for it where we're going to see some really incredible shows coming out on YouTube where historically maybe you won't, you would have only seen them in a high budget Netflix mm. sort of environment. You know, things like Planet Earth. I would not be surprised if some incredibly talented videographers and wildlife biologists started uploading to YouTube and making their own things on YouTube and that sort of thing. My view of the future is broadly very positive. I think we're gonna see some very amazing things coming out in the future and I hope people would be a part of that, but if there's other people that are crushing it, I'll be cheering them on, absolutely. It's sort of like a rainforest. You have certain a small number of creators that are absolutely huge and yeah. soaking up lots of the you know the canopy space. But there is an undergrowth, maybe through shorts of whatever form it's going to be. Like because that's how I see. I I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I see myself as one of those scraggly little trees that is underneath a big you know, hundred and fifty foot rainforest titan. I'm just like oh, uh -huh. I get a tiny bit of light here. Well, there's life in the mulch. I can say yeah. that. And there's life in the mulch. <laughs> Okay, to close off, two more rapid-fire questions. So, firstly, excluding the three of us on this podcast, who do you think is one creator everybody should be watching? I think I'll shout out my arch-rival, I think, right now on YouTube. But I say rival in a friendly way because I think they do great work. Is uh, Casual Geographic. They make fantastic uh, nature videos as well. And I guess I'd also say the same for Lindsay Nicole, uh, another very... Uh, excellent science communicator with respect to wildlife and ecology and that sort of thing. Both of them make very funny videos. And yeah, I think everyone, if you're interested in wildlife ecology and evolutionary biology and that sort of thing, I think you'd very much enjoy watching them too. Great. And then final question. So discounting the three of us on this call and the two people you just mentioned, what's one video you think everyone should watch? I guess the first thing that comes into mind would be the Entire History of the World, I guess, by Bill Wirtz. You cannot watch that. It's a great one. Simon had a bet that someone was, well, he was like, I feel like everyone's going to say that one, but you're the first yeah. person, Patch. So congrats for making Simon happy. I knew it. I knew it was going to come up. <laughs> I mean, Bill Wirtz really just dropped like the two greatest educational videos on the platform of all time and then just kind of pieced out. Yeah. <laughs> so he's crushing it. So Sophie, what did you take away from our conversation with Patrick? I think one of the things I found really interesting was the idea of mixing two things that seem very different and not just doing, you know, a science video with a sprinkling of gaming, but doing a complete mix, mash, merge of the two. I think it 
forces you to be more creative, which I think is really important in science communication. It's like how it requires the DNA from two parents to make a child. Patrick's videos are not science with a sprinkling of gaming or gaming with a sprinkling of science. They are the combination of the DNA exactly. of the science genre and the gaming genre, which is so unique. Yeah, really unique. It reminds me of there's a game called Pundodome where you have to make a pun that involves two different things and the puns end up being so creative and weird because it's like you have to make a pun based on both food and famous authors and I think it's similar to that basically but it forces that creativity which I think is brilliant and it's a great way to bring in another audience. It does make me wonder what the other like interesting combinations would be. Could you do a cooking show and geopolitics or... chemistry and sport i don't know yeah that's a really good shout take two wheels spin the first wheel and that's one subject that you're going to include and then spin the other one and that's the other thing you've got to combine it with i guess you see it in channels as well that are like cooking and history for example where it's like very much the mix of the two i'm going to cook this thing from history i'm now thinking of geopolitics like what would you cook at a meeting with the head of state from (laughs) that's an exercise for the that's an exercise yeah exactly for another time I think as well, often in science, there can be this thing where we do the science of blah. And so you might do the science of gaming. But again, this is different to that because it is, like you say, 50-50. There's two parents in the situation. It's a gaming science baby. And it means that you don't have one audience that you're definitely catering for. You're not still aiming for the science audience, but having a condiment of sport or gaming or whatever it is. Like you actually are effectively engaging both audiences simultaneously, which is a really difficult thing to do. And he manages really, really well. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic at it. He's, He's killed it in that regard. So Simon, what did you take away from that chat? I think something that Patrick said was really interesting was how he thought of himself as not being in the universe that he's describing. Like he's created this video game of biology and he's not a character in that game, he's an observer from the outside. And that's something that means he's completely objective within that box, if you like, that he's created, like this fictional universe, which is something that you can never truly do with actual science or science communication because you are a human living in the real world affected by real science and real issues. And I think something that he did that was very clever was framing it as the game allows him to not have skin in the game, so to speak. Yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah it's having that meta level. It feels like a bit of a joke and a bit of a game within a game and gamifying of the game. But you're right, it's such an interesting mechanism to bring in objectivity which is it is is impossible to be objective when you're living in a world because we all have our own experiences that that muddy or affect what we see and do so yeah and you can feel it in his voice when you watch his videos as well he it's part of his character being that excessively objective yeah and it's again it's i suppose you know we've said how the combination of genres is unique but actually that objectivity within that fictional version of the universe is also pretty much unique Mm. well that's all for this episode but next time we're talking to my name is Simone Yatch and yeah my channel is also Simone Yatch I think that is what really has given me a lot of longevity in my career because I'm really focusing on my own creative satisfaction and enthusiasm. I'm doing things that I'm actually excited about. I'm just a weird fish in a coral reef and I built this cool little nook for myself 
Thanks again to Patrick for joining us. You can find him on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash tearzoo. Thank you for listening to How to Make a Science Video, a Nebula podcast. The producer was Simon Clark. Our music and editing were provided by Fergus Hall and our artwork by Lizzie Theakovsky. If you enjoyed this episode, please do recommend the podcast to your friends and rate us on your podcasting service of choice. Thank you.